Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. Good morning, everyone. Well, as Becca just acknowledged, uh, turning points come in all sorts of ways in life. Some that uh, sort of announce themselves and others that surprise you. And our text this morning from Isaiah, which is a classic prophetic text for this season of Advent, marks a turning point. Everything that comes in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, it takes place in a different era, and it's a, uh, it's a time of judgment, and it's a time of difficulty. And then in this text, in Isaiah 40, the world turns. And things begin to change. Listen for God's word. Comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare a way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and greatly and gently lead the mother sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You know, and uh, among all the other things that have been happening this week, this is the week that colleges and universities throughout the country inform the early applicants whether they've been admitted for next fall. Uh, Many of you know that my wife Lynn is the uh, college counselor at the Westridge School in Pasadena, so I'm a little more attuned to what's happening in the lives of high school students. And uh, this week, especially on Friday, colleges and universities announced, sent information to those applicants. And so it's been a week of anticipation and excitement. It's also been a week of elation and disappointment. Advent is a word that describes this season of four weeks before Christmas. We've just 
watched as our children have lit the Advent candle of peace this morning. Uh, Advent is a word that also, uh, another word that we use uh, frequently, more frequently than Advent, is adventure. It includes it. And, uh, and it's, it has something to do with something that's about to happen. An adventure is about to take place. And who doesn't want a little more adventure in their future? High school seniors are hoping for and planning for the adventure of what is to come next year. When our daughter was a senior in high school, our eldest daughter, uh, we had, as parents, really tried to prepare her for what was coming in her future. We knew that in her freshman year in college, she was going to have greater freedoms than she'd ever had before, and we needed to prepare her for that. And uh, we also needed to prepare her in real practical ways. So, you know, in her senior year, we got the checking account, we got a debit card, we helped her learn how to manage her funds. And back in those days, it was before all of this stuff was electronic. You know, you can do all your banking now electronically. But in those days, it was different. It actually took cash, you know. <laughs> um, and so in her senior year, we had this plan that uh, the, the fall semester, we were really going to focus on preparation and trying to help her manage her affairs. And then uh, with the first of the year, for the spring semester of her senior year, she was going to be on her own, even though she was living in our home. All parental restraints were gone. No curfew. You can come and go as you please when you want. We knew that that was going to be happening six months later. So we thought it'd be much better for her to have that experience of freedom before when there are less risks and less potential damage can be uh, experienced. And so um, we, we lifted all restraint and left it up to her to decide. We realized that at some point, the external constraints have to be removed for the internal constraints to begin to operate. And we knew that she was going to have to rely upon her own internal structure, her own internal commitments, her own value system. Our value system would not work next year. So I'm pleased to be able to report to you that um, our daughter Molly handled all of that brilliantly. We went, she went off to college. She managed all those transitions wonderfully. Uh, she is now a um, nurse practitioner, has her own family. Uh, however, her younger brother and sister did not appreciate how brilliantly she handled that because they had to come along and we expected the same from them. And they uh, felt like they never quite measured up to their older sister. You know, she handled it so well. But each, each child is different, as you all know. Each story is different, and every child has to learn how to enter adulthood on their own terms. Well, Advent is a little like that. It's like trying to prepare for a future that you know is coming. There's a change that's going to be dramatic, and how do you prepare for that? Some kids and some families are better prepared for college than others. Often what happens is kids arrive at college with these newfound freedoms and they just go wild. I mean, they don't know when to go to bed. They don't know when to study. They party and party. Uh, it becomes a huge problem for college campuses. 
Similarly, some believers are better prepared for the coming of Christ than others. Some are directed more by what is within their souls, what is within themselves, their own values and principles and commitments that they've made because of their faith. Others are simply directed by external constraints. Now, Christian hope, which is what our text is about this morning, is envisioned in the midst of adversity. Isaiah is writing at a time of remarkable adversity, and the circumstances are horrible. But he, the prophet, has seen what can yet happen by God's action. The hope that he's talking about is not based on anything inherent in the situation itself. You can't look at the situation and think, well, you know, there's a silver lining here. There's no hope, humanly speaking. The only hope is in what God will do. In the book of Hebrews, it puts it this way. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Hope believes that there's a new beginning that will emerge by God's faithfulness, not by the circumstances we're in. Even though we're in the midst of a mess, it's the belief that God's Situation, God will not forsake us, even in this situation, and a new beginning is emerging. This poem from Isaiah begins a section that is known as the Book of Consolation. I mean, if you read the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, it's pretty harsh language. The scene is one of shattered dreams of hopeless despair, of people trapped in a life they didn't want in a foreign city, in circumstances they couldn't control, and people longed for some different kind of future. The center of their faith, the city of Jerusalem, was in shambles. They lived in exile in Babylon. Their lives were completely ruined politically, economically and spiritually. And there was nothing in their circumstances that suggested there was any reason for hope. It was an ultimate lost cause. But the prophet is talking about the God of lost causes. The God who acts in our lives, in in the world, when things are at their absolute worst. Isaiah's imagery, make a way, a highway for our God. It reverses the picture of all of these people leaving in exile and it replaces it with this faithful returning with joy. The world we live in and we see on the news is the opposite of the one we read about in today's text in Isaiah. How many of you have seen exiles leaving their countries in search of freedom and hope and opportunity. We see it in the paper all the time. 
Rather than peace, fulfillment, harmony, joy, and gladness, there's this deep sorrow, this deep longing in the world today and in our own homes and in our own lives. And it was true for Isaiah as well. This week, for instance, three members of the United States Congress have resigned their positions because of sexual harassment, allegations of sexual harassment. The president announced that this city that we're talking about in Isaiah, that Jerusalem will now be regarded as the capital of Israel, and plans will be made for the U.S. Embassy to be moved to Jerusalem from Tel Aviv, and it has sparked violence in the city and throughout the region. Fires have obviously ravished Southern California all the way from San Diego to Santa Barbara. Hundreds of thousands of people have been fleeing, many homes destroyed. And in the midst of the kind of disaster and the kind of uncertainty that we've had this week in our own country, how do we hope for a better future? What preparations can we make during Advent in this season for a future that belongs to God? The prophet of Isaiah heard a word of the Lord, and for 2,500 years, people of faith have listened to that word. When people are up against it, when the bottom has dropped out of their lives, when they no longer are confident in their own ability to extract themselves from their situation, then we listen for a word from the Lord. When our lives are often in shambles, when our futures have taken some kind of a detour that we didn't expect, when we turn to the Lord in desperation, we find ourselves lifted up, comforted, strengthened. The word which creates is the same word which brings salvation. That's what we were just seeing on the screen a moment ago. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the beginning of John's gospel. It marks a turning point in God's activity in the world. So prepare a way for the Lord. For a new future that belongs to God is coming. Recently, I spoke with a man who has separated from his wife this year. He's not sure, but he thinks she intends to file for divorce. He's living in between this kind of uncertainty of is the past finished and gone and is we're going to start over differently? I mean, what's going to happen? He's at home and he's trying to prepare for Christmas and he's pulled out some of the decorations. There's a long mantle and there's a village, a Christmas village that goes on that mantle and he's kind of not wanting to put it up himself. He's waiting for his teenage daughter to assist him. He's trying to create sort of this Christmas magic that they've had in the past and yet it all feels like it's just hollow. With tears, he told me how lonely he feels, how difficult it is to plan for the future, even the Christmas celebration, because he can no longer envision the future. He doesn't have the ability to manage or control it. How do you hope in a situation like that? 
You see, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. Sometimes when we're exhausted by our own efforts to live in some mess that our lives have become, we can faintly hear the voice of our Lord say, don't fear. You're not alone, not even in the midst of this mess. Go ahead, prepare for my arrival. I am with you to the very end, even in the midst of this. May not be what you planned on, but the Lord can be found in the midst of life's messiness and maybe just waiting for us to turn around and stop running from it. Face it. Christian hope avoids both being entirely optimistic about the future, as if there is no evil in the world. There is evil in the world. We experience it in our lives. We experience it in our communities. You can't be just Pollyannish and look at life through rose-colored glasses. But on the other hand, Christian hope doesn't allow us to fall into despair. Yes, things can be difficult in our lives. Things get messy in our political lives, in our, in our uh, family lives. But God is faithful. That's the basis of Christian hope. God will bring into existence a future that we hope for. And we believe that future has already begun in Jesus Christ and it's present now wherever people look in the mirror and decide to link up to a better future than the one they're anticipating. To draw near to the one who is life and life abundant the one in whom we know grace and truth, the one who came to life that we might be made alive and who wants his joy to be our joy. There's a story told of a prisoner of war camp during World War II. British and American soldiers were separated in that camp by a fence. Once a day, the chaplains in the two camps were allowed to approach the fence by the Nazi guards, and they were allowed to speak with one another. They discovered that if they spoke in Gaelic, which both chaplains knew, the German guards couldn't understand them. And it became kind of important because on the British side of this fence, they had figured out with some tinfoil and some wire how to put together a makeshift radio And they were able to listen to the BBC broadcasts. So every day when the British chaplain would come to the fence in Gaelic, he would tell the American chaplain what the news was about the war. Finally, one day the news came through the BBC that the Germans had surrendered. It's a famous uh, uh, BBC broadcast. Winston Churchill announces on VE Day, it was May 1945, and the German command structure had become so disheveled at the end of the war that that news had not reached the guards. 
So at the fence, the British chaplain relays the news to the American chaplain, which sets the entire camp in a joyous celebration. The guards can't figure out what's going on. All these prisoners are still in the same situation. But they know that liberation is coming. They know the war is over. And they begin to share with one another and they begin to celebrate with one another. That's what the hope of Advent is about. Our situation may not be different. Our lives still may be mired in difficulty. But when you know that the future is coming close and that it's a future of joy and it's a future that God is present in Christ redeeming us, it sets you in life in a different way. There's a new beginning by God's grace. Long ago, in this quiet and unremarkable place, it just seemed the entire creation kind of held its breath that first Christmas. And ever since, people have found a new beginning in their lives and among themselves and with strangers and with others. And they've begun to live that new beginning, even though it's not here fully. It's already here in Christ but it's not fulfilled yet. All of it is centered in this one, this Jesus the Christ. And every once in a while, we get just a little glimpse of what life is going to look like in the future. And we can begin to live that life now. Just like those prisoners in that camp. It's a different way of living. There's justice. There's righteousness. There's human compassion. We can begin to prepare for that future, and we can even begin to live it. Thanks be to God. Here is your God. And faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Amen. churches around the area, um, but it's called the Angel Song, um, and it's just a beautiful Christmas message for us as we think about, as we think about the peace um, that is available to us. So if you want to sing along, you're welcome to, if you want to just use it as a time to reflect, you're also welcome to do that. Thank mm-hmm. you. 